Imagine what it must have been like in Jerusalem in the days surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. Barely a week earlier, on this day known as Palm Sunday, he had been welcomed into the city, ushered in with great fanfare, riding on a humble donkey, but greeted as a king. Crowds walked with him, throwing palm branches in his path. They shouted their approval. At last, they would have a leader to occupy the throne of Israel, who would be a powerful voice in dealing with other tribes and nations. This man of God, with his healing powers and his promise of equality and justice for all people, was an answer to prayer. But that was not why Jesus had come. That was not his mission. And as the crowds began to realize this, the cheering stopped. First came disappointment, then came intense anger. A palm-carpeted passageway leading to a royal throne became instead a desolate path to a cross. The journey that begins today is not a long one in terms of distance. Golgotha, the place of crucifixion, stands just outside the walls of Jerusalem. But every moment of this week will widen the gap between acceptance and rejection. Each succeeding day will leave Jesus with fewer supporters and make their voices less audible amid the growing clamor of the opposition. By week's end, the leaders who see Jesus as a threat to their power and who want to be rid of him will have their way, and Jesus' allies will be frightened into silence. Imagine, imagine what it must have been like in Jerusalem that week for Jesus' followers. Imagine the fear of saying the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time and being labeled an enemy of Rome with ominous consequences. Imagine the growing tension in the city as those opposed to Jesus firmed up their plans. Imagine the rampant gossip that simply added fuel to the tinderbox situation. It might be comforting to imagine that in spite of all of this, if we had been in Jerusalem, we would have been among the brave souls who continued to support Jesus openly. Surely we would have spoken up in his defense. Surely we would have encouraged the others to be brave and to stand with him. From our vantage point, today that sounds reasonable, but it's not realistic given that they and we would have been functioning without the benefit of hindsight, without the resurrection, without the apostles' teaching, without the Gospels. At that point in Jerusalem, confusion and fear were the order of the day. On the night before he died, just after supper that they had shared, Jesus and the disciples sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus told him they would all desert him. Then he cited the prophet Zechariah who said, I will strike the shepherd 
and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. As the night wore on, especially after Jesus was arrested, his followers indeed slipped away out of sight. Plenty of people witnessed Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, and they had a host of reasons to be participating, or at least allowing it to happen. All were in some sense accomplices because of things they either did or things they failed to do. These were real people with homes, families, jobs. They had personal concerns and ambitions. They had their own political and religious beliefs. Consider those described in Mark's gospel as the crowd on this Friday we call good. Many were there simply to watch a happening, the way rubbernecking drivers often cause traffic jams on one side of the highway as they pass an accident on the other side. Many of the bystanders probably had no strong feelings one way or the other about what was taking place. They may not even have known who was being crucified. For it was the chief priests in the crowd who knew Jesus by name and stirred up the crowd to call for his death. They, along with the scribes and the elders, the ruling elite, had a vested interest in what was taking place. Seeing Jesus arrested and put to death had long been their goal. So they made sure that once he was in custody, a death sentence would follow, even, even if it was based on false testimony. Then there were the soldiers. One could say they were just following orders. They mocked Jesus, they spat on him, they beat him, they nailed him to the cross. The governor, Pontius Pilate, wielded a lot of authority, but he lacked courage. Even after admitting to the crowd that he did not find Jesus guilty of any crime, he still went along with their demand for Jesus' death. And what about the disciples? Most were in hiding, fearing for their own lives. Peter had assured Jesus that even if everyone else fled, he would remain by his side. But in the face of armed soldiers and jeering crowds, Peter did not maintain his resolve. And he denied three times that he even knew Jesus. There were, however, men and women whose courage did not fail them. It took courage for Mary, the very mother of Jesus, and the other women who had followed him to be present and openly supportive at the cross. Can you imagine? It took courage for the centurion who had helped to crucify Jesus, to openly proclaim Jesus as God's son after witnessing his final breath. It took courage for Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy and respected official, to go to Pontius Pilate at dusk and get permission to take Jesus down from the cross and bury him. The people gathered that day in Jerusalem, looked on with different perspectives and a variety of motivations. One thing they did share was a limited field of vision 
For them, Jesus' crucifixion marked an ending with no possibility of anything beyond. His life that had held so much promise was over, and their hopes for the future died with him. And yet, not many hours later, some of the women would discover the empty tomb, and the story would be changed forever. From commonplace to extraordinary, from narrow boundaries to limitless horizons, from utter despair to endless hope. Everything turned upside down because God was present at the cross. God was on the cross and all around it. And God's presence transforms the crucifixion from a finite event locked in time to the very event transcending all time. All those destructive forces and emotions that led to Jesus' death came together, were gathered together on the cross where they were held and absorbed and transformed and reflected back to people as love because that is what God does. That is who God is. The drama of Palm Sunday involves Christians in a journey we must take, uncomfortable though it is. We have to arrive at the cross in order to get beyond it. We have to open our eyes to see ourselves among the bystanders in order to perceive our own participation in the cross that is yet before us. Do we yet recognize God in the suffering of our neighbors? Do we yet see the agony of Christ in the faces of immigrants and refugees, in the mentally ill and the addict? Will we have the courage to dismantle the crucifying systems of our day? Racism, nationalism, the endless cycle of poverty and failure of health care? an excessive need for guns and border control, the threat of war. As Christians, we have every advantage. We remember not only Jesus' death, but his astounding resurrection. We have the witness of the apostles and the inspiration of the saints. We know that in the end, love wins. Where we stand and what we do in the shadow of the cross today matters. If we are immobilized by anxiety, as many of us are these days, or narcotized by apathy, Jesus forgives us from the cross, heals us, and strengthens us to stand with him that our lives also may be a source of hope for others and a resurrecting force in our own time. The timbers of our own lives are designed to bear the transforming love of God. May we extend the embrace that holds us and all creation May our lives reveal the eternal victory 
the eternal victory of love. Amen.